Hello, folks. It's, it's AR. Um, you're, you're listening to the Lore Research Labs. Various. This is a mini series. Storytelling, passive storytelling versus active storytelling and world building. Um, comparing The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild to Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. This is part 3.1 of uh, this little mini series I started. Um, and I've done this for every single episode in this mini series, and I feel really bad about it, but I, <laughs> it has to be done. So, uh, this episode, needless to say, will make absolutely no sense uh, if you don't listen to the previous parts. Part one, that's where I talk about definitions, terms, locations important characters, uh, other notable entities and things like that, that it's all, it's in that section, part 2.1. That's where I talk about some initial historical events and uh, uh, historical events, uh, contextual, uh, contextual things leading up until the events of the main game. So i.e. 2 point, sorry, part 2.1 refers to things that happened before the game even begins. Uh, in part 2.2, uh, starts off from where things do begin in the game. What happens after Link essentially wakes up, you learn that he's an amnesiac, uh, talking about initial story events when you, from a gameplay perspective, start the game, um, as well as uh, in part 2.2, a long, like a, an extensive character analysis and deep dive of uh, a quest in the game that adds to world building and character development as well. Part 2.3 was essentially just continuing the story and concluding the story of Breath of the Wild. Uh, so, and then part 2.4 is how Breath of the Wild world builds. So you finally made it here, folks. This is part, so part, this is part 3.1, obviously. Um, part 3.2 will be the finale. That will be the final episode of this mini-series, but part 3.1, what I'm going to talk about here, um, are, uh, it's, it's the story of Age of Calamity. And just going in, because this is the game that actively tells its story but passively world-builds, um, some things to keep in mind is that this is going to be a lot more structured than what I did with Breath of the Wild. Now, I mean, I gave Breath of the Wild a structure for the sake of explanation, but from a gameplay perspective, Breath of the Wild does not have that structure in place. Things are non-linear when it comes to Breath of the Wild. On the other hand, we have Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which is um, uh, which is a linear game. Um, this will be divided up into chapters, and just like everything else that's come before this, this will be an extremely spoiler-heavy section, uh, as will uh, part like that, you know, part 3.2 will also be uh, very spoiler heavy. So just to uh, reiterate and also to add as one last note before you hear hear me ramble on about Age of Calamity story stuff is that here I'll first be talking about the story um, as per its framework in the game. Um, I'll say one thing is that um, you might hear just like occasional pauses where it's like a little bit quiet or something. So, and you're gonna hear me say this as well, which is that uh, I actually had my console with me. Um, 
so I could just read what the game tells me. So I'm I'm like scrolling and I'm like reading. <laughs> so um, breaking the fourth wall, but uh, but that's essentially what I'm doing. So just in case it's like, okay, why is it just randomly quiet? That's why. And then the other part of this episode will be me uh, dissecting those chapters in slightly more detail in slightly more detail. If you remember in part 2.2, I was essentially parsing each uh, memory of that uh, major quest that adds to ca uh, character development and world building. Um, it's a series of cutscenes, essentially, if, if I really had to boil it down and simplify it. Um, it's a series of cutscenes, and I was kind of trying to uh, like draw out the most important elements from it and things we can learn from it. I'll be doing something very similar with Age of Calamity. Um, but... <sighs> I mean, Age of Calamity is so linear that it will be, I think, a little bit easier to follow. So without further ado, folks, let's let's get into the story of Age of Calamity and what we can learn from this story. So the nice thing about Age of Calamity is, as we know, um, it's structured based on chapters. So battles happen within certain chapters and a certain, uh, like the progress of the story uh, hinges on these chapters. So when, what happens, it depends on the chapter and how far you are in the story kind of thing. So unlike Breath of the Wild, we have a clear, explicit framework. So what I'm gonna do for this section is without, I'm gonna try not to interrupt myself as much as possible and just read through the descriptions because there are quite a lot. Um, but uh, I'm going to be reading directly from the game and the game descriptions of each chapter. Now, a lot of these chapters have multiple parts to it, so uh, bear with me. So starting off, we have chapter one, the Battle of Hyrule Field, part one. Since ancient times, Calamity Ganon has threatened the land of Hyrule. As Hyrule Castle falls to his devastating assault, a lone guardian reacts to Princess Zelda's desperate plea and embarks on a journey through time to save her. Chapter 1, The Battle of Hyrule Field, Part 2. The King of Hyrule, preparing for the revival of Calamity Ganon, attempts to eliminate the monsters running rampant. Standing among the troops assembled for battle is the fateful knight, Link. Chapter 1, The Battle of Hyrule Field, Part 3. The mysterious guardian that Link discovered during the battle reacts to the Sheikah slate Impa has in her possession. Just as the guardian reacts, a mysterious tower erupts from the ground. Chapter 1, The Battle of Hyrule Field, Part 4. Impa racks her brain over the mysterious diminutive guardian and the tower that suddenly appeared. Meanwhile, the guardian spots Hyrule Castle and, ignoring Impa's shouts, rushes toward it as fast as it can. Uh, and just to clarify, um, if there are things that don't quite make sense, obviously because these descriptions are meant to, you know, hint at what will happen in the story next, if that foreshadowing is necessarily clear at this time, I'll, I'll um, discuss it further when I talk about, you know, the way that this game world builds and stuff um, in the next section. Okay, so anyways, continuing on. Chapter 1, The Battle of Hyrule Field, Part 5. Link and Impa pursue the Guardian, arriving at Hyrule Castle and meeting Zelda. As Zelda expresses her joy at their safe return, the small Guardian dashes up to her seemingly desperate to convey something. Alright, so continuing on, Chapter 1, uh, Road to the Ancient Lab, Part 1. And this is uh, based off of a previous description. So, Zelda's curious about the diminutive guardian and wanted to accompany Impa on her journey to Pura's research, 
research facility with Link acting as bodyguard. They made their way to the ancient tech lab. So that's what this is going to be describing. So chapter one, Road to the Ancient Lab, part one. In order to analyze the Guardian from the future, Zelda travels with Link and the others to the Royal Ancient Lab. On the way there, however, a Guardian goes berserk and attacks the party. At the same time, a horde of monsters appear and attack as well. Chapter 1, Road to the Ancient Lab, Part 2. After narrowly escaping the rampaging guardian and the monsters, Zelda and the others celebrate their safety. Meanwhile, an ominous figure observes them from hiding. Chapter 1, Road to the Ancient Lab, Part 3. Carefully analyzing the little guardian from the future reveals it to be a completely new model built from unknown technology, and stored within it are detailed records of the events at Hyrule Castle after Calamity Ganon's revival. Chapter 1, Road to the Ancient Lab, Part 4. Zelda, Link, Impa, and the others prepare to depart Hyrule Castle on orders from the king to recruit pilots for the Divine Beasts. The king stops them, however, when he recognizes the guardian at Zelda's feet and gives her a stern admonition. Chapter 2, Mipha, the Zora Princess, Part 1. In order to recruit Mipha as a pilot for a Divine Beast, Zelda makes her case to Mipha's father, King Dorofan. The king refuses to permit Mipha to help, but the audience is cut short when monsters suddenly threaten Zora's domain. Chapter 2, Mipha the Zora Princess, Part 2. Discovering the young prince Sidon standing up to a Lionel, the party quickly comes to his aid. The Lionel is undeterred by their arrival, brandishing a giant blade and releasing a terrifying roar. Chapter 2, Mipha the Zora Princess, Part 3. The party rescues Sidon, but they have no time to rest before an even bigger horde of monsters appeared, appears. Comprehending the scale of the attack, Mipha and the others are at a loss for words until the little guardian gives them a sliver of hope. Chapter 2, Mipha the Zora Princess, Part 4. King Dorofan himself takes command of the forces defending Zora's domain, but even under his guidance, they are backed into a corner by superior numbers. However, salvation arrives in the form of the divine beast Varuta, piloted by Mipha. Chapter 2, Mipha the Zora Princess, Part 5. After seeing Mipha use the power of the Divine Beast to defeat the Lionel and hold off the massive attacking horde, King Dorofan acknowledges Mipha's resolve and gives his approval to her to serve as the pilot of the Divine Beast. Chapter 2, Daruk the Goron Hero, Part 1. Daruk agrees to become the pilot of a Divine Beast, but it is revealed that a swarm of monsters has overrun Death Mountain, the location of Varudania. Daruk makes for the mountain with the rest of the party in tow. So obviously, uh, Link, Zelda, Impa, they have, they've gone from Hyrule Castle, went to Zora's Domain, now they're heading uh, to the Elden Region, to Goron City, and that's where they've met Daruk. Chapter 2, Daruk the Goron Hero, Part 2. The party somehow makes it to the peak of the mountain. Daruk, led by the small guardian, climbs into Varudania and engages the monsters swarming over Death Mountain in pitched battle. Chapter 2, Daruk the Goron Hero, Part 3. Daruk mops up the mountains, the, Daruk mops up the monsters swarming over Death Mountain. Uh, this, why am I having so much trouble with the sentence? Daruk mops up the monsters, the monsters swarming over Death Mountain, then reaffirms his intention to pilot the Divine Beast. With words of thanks to Link and the party, Daruk hands over a treasured gift. So next up, we're heading to the uh, to Rito Village, um, located in the Tabantha Frontier. So this is uh, west of Hyrule Castle. 
Chapter 2, Rivaldi the Rito Warrior, Part 1. On the way to Rito Village, the party gets caught up in an intense snowstorm. Leaving Princess Zelda behind at a safe location, Link and the party set out to scout the area, but quickly come into conflict with Rito warriors led by Rivaldi. Chapter 2, Rivaldi the Rito Warrior, Part 2. Just as a fierce battle between Link and Rivaldi is about to reach a violent conclusion, Princess Zelda intervenes. Both the snowstorm and the battle between the two warriors come to an abrupt end. Rival uh, chapter 2, Rivali the Rito Warrior, Part 3. Rivali agrees to become a pilot for a divine beast, but gets his feathers ruffled when he discovers that Link is the princess's knight. The little guardian interjects, not in support of Link, but to assert that it is also a protector of the princess. So next up, Gerudo Desert. Chapter 2, Urbosa the Gerudo Chief, Part 1. The party sets out for Gerudo Town to recruit their chief, Urbosa, as a pilot of a divine beast. However, they are unexpectedly attacked by the Gerudo. Zelda steals herself and attempts to learn Urbosa's true motives. Chapter 2, Urbosa the Gerudo Chief, Part 2. With Zelda in peril, the real Urbosa makes her appearance, and the imposter chief is revealed to be Master Koga of the Yiga clan. Koga quickly summons reinforcements to the battle, then abruptly leaves them to fight on their own. Chapter 2, Urbosa the Gerudo, Gerudo Chief, Part 3. Urbosa and the others manage to corner Master Koga, but they're suddenly confronted by the Yiga Blade Master Suga. Both Suga and Koga disappear, though the conflict with the Yiga clan appears likely to continue. Chapter 2, Urbosa the Gerudo Chief, Part 4. In order to protect both her own desert home and all of Hyrule, Urbosa agrees to become a pilot for a divine beast. She also offers words of comfort to Zelda, who's feeling a mounting pressure to fulfill her duty as the days pass. Chapter 2, Urbosa the Gerudo Chief, Part 5. Master Koga and Suga escape to their hideout. Waiting for them there is the mysterious seer, Aster, as well as a black guardian eerily similar to the model that has been accompanying Zelda. Chapter 2, The Yiga Clan Attacks, Part 1. Zelda has been successful in her recruiting mission, yet the king remains stern with her. Told to focus on her training now more than ever, Zelda tells the little guardian of the insecurities she carries with her. Chapter 2, The Yiga Clan Attacks, Part 2. Zelda departs Hyrule Castle and sets out with the pilots for the Lineru region, where they intend to train with the Divine Beasts. The party talks amongst themselves as they travel, but their progress is abruptly halted when the Yiga clan appears intent on taking Zelda's life. Ooh, it's not good. Chapter 2, The Yiga clan attacks part 3. Link and the others fight bravely in the intense battle and manage to root Suga and the Yiga clan. Zelda offers Link gratitude for his perfection, for perfection, <laughs> for his protection, and finds himself, and finds herself Wow, today is not my day. When is it ever my day? And finds herself slowly coming to trust him more and more. Um, it's not, it, it's still consistent in this game, uh, despite the debated canonicity of it, is that Zelda was not very trusting of Link to begin with because of her, in, like, there, like there's, there's some psychology to it. She, there, she's a bit insecure about certain things. He just seems so put together. It's off-putting kind of thing. Um, so yeah, the, anyways, there, there's that. Chapter three, Freeing Korok Forest, part one. In order to more easily secure the sword that seals the darkness, the master sword, the King of Hyrule orders all monsters within Korok Forest be eradicated. A plan centered around the divine beast Va Meadow is made, but its pilot, Rivali, seems unsure about their leader. Chapter 3, Freeing Korok Forest, Part 2. 
Thanks to the power of Von Meadow, the monsters are cleared away and the party is able to continue on to the Lost Woods. Unbeknownst to them, however, Aster, the Yiga clan, and others have already infiltrated the forest depths. Uh, chapter 3, Freeing Korok Forest, Part 3. Perhaps due to the monster's influence, the Lost Woods is enveloped in a thick mist that obscures the surroundings. The party continues forward regardless, wary of enemy attacks when they suddenly encounter Hestu the Korok. Alright. Chapter 3, Freeing Korok Forest, Part 4. Okay, that was Part 3. Did I say Part 3? I probably did. I already forget. Anyways, Chapter 3, Freeing Korok Forest, Part 4. The party at last arrives in Korok Forest, but they find their way obstructed by Astor. Despite the confusion caused by the hollows, by the hollows in the shape of his allies, Link unsheaths the sword that seals the darkness. Woohoo! Chapter 3, Freeing Korok Forest, Part 5. But the great Deku trees wait for the hero now complete. It passes along words of advice to Link, who offer who wield it passes along words of advice to Link, who wields a sword that seals the darkness. It also offers Zelda encouragement with awakening her power, before settling back into a deep slumber to nurse its wounds. Thank you, sentient tree. Uh, so, um, Zelda's unsure about stuff. Okay, anyways, moving on. Chapter 3, The Road Home Besieged, Part 1. Witnessing the progress that Link and the pilots have made, Zelda is filled with worry and doubt about her own inability to succeed. There you go. Um, the small guardian notices this and attempts to bolster her spirits with a lullaby. Dot, dot, dot. It's very mysterious. Um, I'll just quickly interrupt and say that it's referencing a song that's appeared in a different Legend of Zelda game. Infamously tied, well, not infamously, but famously tied to uh, Zelda's character. So, um, interesting. Chapter 3, The Road Home Besieged, Part 2. Link remains as steadfast and dedicated as ever stronger now that he is armed with the sword that seals the darkness. It's really funny though, because in the game, you don't, you technically don't have to use it. You, there's other weapons you can use, but anyways. Zelda doubts her own abilities by comparison, and Urbosa tries to put her worries to rest by reminding her of the great Deku Tree's words. Thank you, Urbosa. So, um... Basically, uh, King Rome uh, bestows the title of champion upon all these new, newly heralded pilots. There's a little ceremony. Moving on. Uh, everyone goes back to the castle for that, by the way. So, anyways, chapter three, The Road Home Besieged, part three. The inauguration ceremony for Link and the four champions who will pilot the Divine Beast comes to an end, and everyone takes in the celebratory atmosphere. Yay, go team! An amusing, an amusing interaction between the little guardian and the others is enough to ease Zelda's worries, if only a bit. Poor Zelda. So, uh, let's see. Chapter four, Akala Tower, part one. As Zelda prepares to depart and investigate the central tower, King Rome confronts her once again on where her focus lies. Zelda musters all of her courage to express her intentions to him, but one can assume things did, they, things did not go as planned. Uh, chapter 4, Akala Tower Part 2. As Zelda departs Hyrule Castle, Master Koga and Suga scheme with Aster about preventing the activation of the Sheikah Towers. Quietly, however, Suga harbors his own doubts. Dot, dot, dot. Chapter 4, Akala Tower, Part 3. Guided by the Little Guardian, Link presents the Sheikah Slate to the terminal of the Central Tower, causing the tower to activate and rise up into the air. At the same time, the towers in other regions also rise up. Pura, observing this, cries out in excitement. 
So the central tower has been uh, successfully activated and uh, under Pura's guidance, uh, Zelda and friends are embarking on a mission to restore the ancient structures across Hy Hyrule now. Chapter 4, Akala Tower, Part 4. Having successfully activated all the Sheikah Towers, Zelda takes in the expansive view. Pura has been busy analyzing the functions of the tower and, after lauding their usefulness in the defense of Hyrule, declares her intention to demonstrate their value. Chapter 4, Destroy the Yiga Clan, Part 1. In the process of activating the Sheikah Towers in each region of Hyrule, the party learns valuable tactical knowledge, including the location of the Yiga Clan's hideout. Aiming to take them out in one fell swoop, Urbosa boards Vonaboris. And, okay, yeah, Chapter 4, Destroy the Yiga Clan, Part 2. The party has finally managed to corner the Yiga Clan, but Master Koga refuses to go down to that fight. For some reason, he appears incredibly confident. After taunting the party, Koga rushes to battle henchmen in tow. Chapter 4, Destroy the Yiga Clan, Part 3. Aster appears before the recently defeated Master Koga, who is outraged that the Yiga Clan's promised victory did not come to pass. Aster simply smiles, stating that all is as it must be, and he warns the Yiga Clan not to oppose him. Dun, dun, dun. Chapter 4, Destroy the Yiga Clan, Part 4. Having handled the Yiga Clan, Zelda and the party realize how truly valuable the Sheikah Towers are. Pura is, equally, is, yeah, Pura, Pura is eager to continue her research with her newly increased staff. Zelda offers her words of encouragement, though she reigns troubled by her own lack of progress. Chapter 4, When Courage Fails, Part 1. As analysis of the Little Guardian from the future continues, it is discovered that the date of Calamity Ganon's revival is also that of Zelda's 17th birthday. With little time remaining, the king impresses upon Zelda the need for her to focus on her training and awaken her powers. Chapter 4, When Courage Fails, Part 2. Knowing there is no going back, Zelda attempts to muster her conviction and motivate herself to move forward. The others can do nothing but watch as she frets over the chance that she will fail. Suddenly, a swarm of monsters attack, and this is located at the Spring of Courage, which is in the Farron region. Chapter 4, When Courage Fails, Part 3. Using her knowledge of ancient technology, Zelda saves everyone from the monster threat, though she tries once more to avoid taking credit. Impa impresses upon the princess the value of all she has done, and Zelda speaks of a renewed drive to fulfill her destiny. Best friends for life. So just as an in-between description, I'm going to read out here, all of the countermeasures to Calamity Ganon were in place, except one. The princess had not yet, had not yet awakened her sealing power, and that's critical. In hopes of preventing her kingdom's destruction, Zelda resolved to train at the Spring of Wisdom. Chapter 5, Calamity Strikes, Part 1. We're, we're almost there, folks. Chapter 7 will be the last chapter, but we're, we're getting there. Chapter 5, Calamity Strikes, Part 1. The Royal Ancient Lab completes its analysis of the Little Guardian, but Robbie and Pura are abruptly attacked by Yiga Clan infiltrators. Infiltrators. Pura entrusts the Sheikah Slate to the Little Guardian who flees the lab in search of Zelda. Chapter 5, Calamity Strikes, Part 2. Accompanied by Link and Impa, Zelda sets out for the Spring of Wisdom on Mount Lanayru to train. She steals herself, knowing that this is her last chance to awaken her powers. At the moment Zelda crosses the bridge, Calamity Ganon suddenly revives and descends on the castle. Chapter 5, Calamity Strikes, Part 3. On the way to their Divine Beasts, each of the champions witnessed the sudden revival of Calamity Ganon. 
Matters are made worse as the Sheikah Tower simultaneously shut down due to Calamity Ganon's influence. Chapter 5, Calamity Strikes, Part 4. The Guardians, now under the control of Calamity Ganon, begin to attack Zelda, Link, and the others. Just as, just as one has the princess and her protector in its sights, King Rome arrives to save them. The king reminds Link of his duty to the princess, then remains behind as the pair flee the castle. This is where King Rome more or less sacrifices himself uh, to save Zelda. Zelda is not able to activate her powers at this time. Chapter 5, Calamity Strikes, Part 5. Based on information from the Little Guardian, Zelda learns that the Divine Beast will also be taken over by Calamity Ganon. Frustrated by her own powerlessness, Zelda cries out in anguish. As her tears fall, the Guardian suddenly emits a strange light. Dot, dot, dot. So, uh, just as another in-between part, um, having witnessed images of the Divine Beast under the control of Calamity Ganon, the party hurry to the champion's praying it was not too late. Chapter 5, Water and Fire, Part 1. Mipha and Jeruk both lock themselves in challenging battles against the powerful phantoms created by Calamity Ganon, which are uh, Water Blight and Fire Blight Ganon, respectively. Just as all seems to be lost, however, mysterious figures arrive from the unexpected place, from the most unexpected place to save them. Chapter 5, Water and Fire, Part 2. Water Blight Ganon, a phantom created by Calamity Ganon within the Divine Beast Varuta, pushes Mipha and her younger brother Sidon to their limits. Nearly at the end of their strength, Aid finally arrives to rescue them. Chapter 5, Water and Fire, Part 3. Aboard the Divine Beast Varudania, Daruk and Yunobo lock into a fierce battle with Fire Blight Ganon, a phantom created by Calamity Ganon. Sorry, this all sounds very repetitive. Nearing the end of their strength and quickly losing hope, support finally arrives to rescue them. Yay! Go team! Chapter 5. Did I read that that was part 3? I, I think I did. Chapter 5. Water and Fire, part 4. With the arrival of reinforcements, the party is able to subdue both Water Blight and Fire Blight Ganon. There is little time to celebrate, however, as Zelda shares news of the fall of Hyrule Castle. So basically, this is the part in the story where Mipha and Daruk are saved, because as we know in Breath of the Wild, they, they fall to the respective Blights. The Blights defeat them and the Divine Beasts are taken over. But this is the moment in the story of Age of Calamity where Mipha and Daruk survive. Chapter 5, Water and Fire, Part 5. Having heard the news of Hyrule Castle's fall to Calamity Ganon, Daruk takes Unobo and boards the Divine Beast. Together, they hope to stop the horde of guardians rapidly advancing on Eastern Hyrule. And because uh, I talk about this, I'm, I may as well just mention it here now, to be honest. So, um, Sidon is Mipha's younger brother, as we know. Um, and Yunobo is supposed to be a descendant of Daruk. So basically, both of them came from the future and save Mipha and Daruk in their respective divine beasts. Uh, so I mentioned that in the Age of Calamity episode, but I just thought I would mention that here as well. So just as another in-between description I'll read out, the time-traveling guardian contains records with a depiction of the of the four divine beasts falling under the control of Calamity Ganon. Uh, and that's the kind of interlude description prior to this next part of chapter five. So um, just like with uh, Water and Fire, now we have chapter five, Air and Lightning part one. Rivali and Urbosa are both locked in pitched battles against the powerful phantoms Calamity Ganon created. Just as all seems lost, however, the mysterious figures from the most mysterious figures from the most unlikely of places arrives to save them. 
and that would be Teba, the Rito warrior from the future, and then Riju, who is the chief of the Gerudo in the future. They come back in time to to save Rivali and Urbosa, respectively. Chapter 5, Aaron Lightning, Part 2. Urbosa and Riju find themselves pushed to their limits in their battle against Thunder Blight Ganon aboard Vondaboris. Fortunately, just as all seems lost, rescue finally arrives. Chapter 5, Aaron Lightning, Part 3. Rivaldi and Teba fight bravely against Windblade Ganon aboard Vlad Meadow, but it is clear that they are in a losing battle. Things seem bad for the winged heroes, but rescue arrives just in the nick of time. You can see that these descriptions are getting a bit repetitive. So I guess it's fairly unavoidable. Anyways, Chapter 5, Air and Lightning, Part 4. With the support of allies, the party subdues this party subdues both Thunderblade and Windblade Ganon. There's little time to celebrate, however, as Zelda shares the news of the fall of Hyrule Castle. So Rivali and Rebosa have been saved now. Yay, that's that's four out of four, folks. Go team! Chapter 5, Aaron Lightning, Part 5. Having heard the news from Zelda of Hyrule Castle's fall, Rivali takes Teba, and together they board Va Meadow. The pair plan to use the power of the Divine Beast to halt the monsters and guardians advancing on Western Hyrule. Chapter 5, Air and Lightning, Part 6. Sidon describes having been summoned by a voice, and Zelda realizes that the arrival of these new heroes is the result of the time-traveling abilities the Little Guardian has. Zelda offers her thanks to the Little Guardian, though she remains aware of her own shortcomings. Chapter 5, Aster's plan to betray the Yiga clan has been revealed. As he mercilessly sacrifices clan members to revive the Blight Ganons, Suga and Master Koga steal themselves to fight against him. Aster six a hollow, six a hollow on the pair without hes uh, hesitation. Chapter six, relentless as a waterfall, part one. Wave after wave of guardians and monsters threaten to break through Akala Citadel's formidable defenses. This is a large tower that is in the Akala region, so it's in kind of the northeast part of Hyrule. Uh, many among the defenders worry that defeat is unavoidable. Robbie, however, is certain that rescue will arrive in time. So chapter six, Relentless as a Waterfall, part two. Mifa and Sidon pilot the divine beast Varuta toward Akala Citadel. Upon arrival, they discover the Hyrulean army in dire need of help. The siblings team up and hurry to join the battle. Chapter six, Relentless as a Waterfall, part three. Breaking through the enemy siege of Akala Citadel, Zelda and the others enter the walls and reinforce the defenders. Aboard Varuta, Mifa and Sidon cover their advance, and in a brief moment, Mifa expresses happiness at the kind of Zora her brother has become. This is a really nice moment, I'm not gonna lie. When I watch this cutscene, I'm just like, this is so wholesome. I'm so happy for them. All right, moving on. Chapter six, Each Step Like Thunder, part one. As Zelda and the others travel to support Fort Hateno, um, Urbosa and Riju attempt to distract the guardians that are surging forth from Hyrule Castle. The pair leap aboard Bondaboris and throw themselves into a pitched battle. Chapter 6, Each Step Like Thunder, Part 2. While the diversion was successful, a massive number of monsters emerge as night falls. Urbosa and Riju prepare themselves for the worst, but are saved from that fate as the champions from the other regions arrive to aid them. So there's something I want to point out about uh, Fort Hateno and Akala Citadel. So um, in Breath of the Wild, by comparison, uh, or rather, as, as we know, I guess, is that Akala Citadel does fall to the possessed guardians, like, like the malice possessed guardians. Um, they destroy the Citadel, no problem. 
Fort Hateno is barely held off, and that's thanks to what I'm going to describe here as well. But in Breath of the Wild, we know that um, Zelda's, Zelda's powers activate on Blatchery Plain. Blatchery Plain is just outside Fort Hateno. So basically, in the, in the historical events of Breath of the Wild, it's that Fort Hateno is, is ve was very critical in a way to the survival of Hyrule in a spiritual sense because it's this really smart small fort. It wasn't very like well manned, like there was not a lot of soldiers there. So it wasn't a very good defense, but it was kind of this last stronghold that would prevent any enemies from getting further into the uh in further into Nekluda or whatever, further into that part of Hyrule. And those are where uh some settlements were located, like Hateno Village. So it's like if um, Zelda's powers hadn't activated on Blatchery Plain, then there would have been a lot more destruction basically in Hyrule, and maybe it would have been like a trickle-down effect. Maybe it's like other parts of Hyrule would have been even more decimated kind of thing. So Akala Citadel didn't fall, doesn't, doesn't fall in Age of Calamity, and Fort Hateno is also maintained in Age of Calamity. But uh, in Age of Calamity, it's a lot more heroic, where it's like uh, Fort Hateno in Breath of the Wild. It's just something that exists. You're not, you don't realize the gravity of, like, the importance of that fort. Because if it fell, that could have spelled a lot more doom for Hyrule at the time that the Great Calamity hit. Anyways, continuing on. Chapter 6, Each Step Like Thunder, Part 3. Aster, who had orchestrated the attack on Fort Hateno, sets Blight Ganon's phantoms on the party as revenge for their intervention. As Link struggles to hold them off, Zelda refuses to flee again, and her strong desire to save Link finally awakens the power she had long been seeking. It, ca canonically, or non-canonically, Zelda will always activate her powers when she needs to save Link. What a, what, a, what a duo those two are. Chapter 6, Each Step Like Thunder, Part 4. Zelda speaks to the soldiers gathered at Fort Hateno, projecting a renewed confidence that reflects her role as a member of Hyrule's royal family. With spirits bolstered, Zelda takes the time to speak with one soldier in particular. The man turns out to be an unexpected guest. Alright, Chapter 7, The Great Plateau, Part 1. The party receives word that there are soldiers holed up on the Great Plateau. They must be helped, but traveling so far would be difficult and dangerous. Fortunately, Pura has a plan to make the trip much, much easier. Chapter 7, The Great Plateau, Part 2. A father and daughter a father and daughter reunite within the Temple of Time. Tears of joy flow easily from the princess, and her father looks upon her with a newfound warmth. He admits it was the relic she gave him that saved his life. So this is where it's found out that King Rome did indeed survive, and that's thanks to Zelda. I always forgot whether or not she gave that to him, but she does. This clarifies that for me now. The, this this was did I read it out that, that this is a this is the Great Plateau Part Two? Anyways, continuing on. Chapter seven, All Hyrule United, Part One. Thanks to the newly improved Sheikah Towers, many soldiers from all across Hyrule have been able to gather together. Zelda stands at the vanguard and delivers a rousing speech to the assembled army. This is kind of an epic scene. Canon or not, I'm, I was down for this. This was really cool to watch. So just as another in-between description I'm going to read out, in an attempt to assuage the damage of Calamity Ganon, the Zora, Gorons, Rito, Gerudo, and Yiga clan united with the remnants of King Rome's forces. All of them gathered their strength and assembled on Hyrule Field. So basically, uh, what was it, two... Uh, 
in a previous description I just read out, Zelda meets and like runs into an unexpected guest kind of thing. It's Master Koga, and uh, he basically has defected from Aster's cause, so he's no longer going to. Uh, He's not going to fight with Aster anymore. He's going to fight against him. So that's why the Yika clan are a part of this plan now to take down Calamity Ganon. Chapter 7, All Hyrule United Part 2. The devastating barrage from the Divine Beast strikes Calamity Ganon. Its defeat seems imminent until suddenly the sky is turned red and the blood moon rises. Calamity Ganon and his minions recover their power restored beneath the blood moon's light. So in Breath of the Wild, a blood moon will appear like every two or three night cycles. I don't really remember because there is like a real time like day and night cycle that happens in the game. I think 24 minutes is like one day in the game. Like time obviously operates differently in the game than in actual real life, but things do happen in real time, if that makes sense. But anyways, in Breath of the Wild, the Blood Moon will basically revive any enemies that were defeated uh, earlier in the day, if you will. Um, so let's say you're at an enemy camp and you took down all those enemies, but you still happen to be in the area when the blood moon uh, rises. Um, and it's, it's very clear when you look at the night sky in the game if a blood moon is coming up or not. Um, but what'll happen is if you're too close to that enemy camp, I mean, all those monsters are going to see you, right? Um, but basically, Age of Calamity takes that a step further and just makes your life more miserable by reanimating everything you defeated. So there's that. Chapter 7, The Future of Hyrule, Part 1. The party blazes a path through the battle, at last reaching Hyrule Castle. There they encounter Aster, as well as a guardian eerily similar to the one that has stood by Zelda throughout her adventure. This new guardian is black and seeds with malice, dot dot dot. Chapter 7, The Future of Hyrule, Part 2. Aster and the Black Guardian are on the brink of defeat, yet victory still eludes the heroes. As, Ap as Aster attempts to command Calamity Ganon, the Seer is instead consumed by malice, allowing a new, terrifying form to emerge. Oh boy. Chapter 7, The Future of Hyrule Part 3. The party is stricken with grief as the Little Guardian slumps to the ground. Uh, even in its damaged state, the little guardian tries to comfort Zelda, playing a gentle lullaby, gentle lullaby that stirs a memory in the princess. This is a sad scene, man. Um, but, uh, what's it called? So prior to this, uh, I talk about this in the Age of Calamity episode as well, but um, basically this, this diminutive guardian was on your side the entire time, but then it suddenly got turned over by malice and you are forced to battle it um, while in Hyrule Castle. Um, so that happened prior to this cutscene. Chapter 7, The Future of Hyrule, Part 4. Get, we're getting closer, folks. We're almost at the end. In the face of Calamity Ganon's devastating power, the party is rushed onto the defensive. As Zelda desperately tries, as Zelda desperately fights to protect everyone, Little Guardian now recognizes Tarako, musters every last ounce of its strength to deliver one final attack against, against Calamity Ganon. This was also, like, just so... So moving. I was just like, Tadako, you're just... <laughs> Even when you're, like, on the brink of death, you're trying to save everyone? Man, that's that's some determination. Chapter 7, The Future of Hyrule, Part 5. The knight uses the sword that seals the darkness to deliver a devastating slash. Such a dramatic sentence. All you could say is just link one stabby stab on Ganon. The princess uses her sealing power to imprison Calamity Ganon, dot dot dot, Thus, the legend is realized, and the battle against Calamity Ganon has ended. Peace returns once more to the land. 
And our final cutscene of the main game of Age of Calamity is this part of the story. Chapter 7, The Future of Hyrule, Part 6. The heroes who traveled across time to return to their origins through the final remnants of Terako's power. Uh, so that would be Sidon, Yunobo, uh, Teba, and Riju, so they go back to the future. Zelda and the others bid them farewell and pray that light stays with them in their world. And that, folks, was the story of Age of Calamity, summarized by the game. The, the thank you game for providing me with coherent description that I otherwise wouldn't have had because I, I don't... Alright, so I completely forgot to mention this, so as the as the end card for this uh this bit so yeah you just heard the story of age of calamity as summarized by the game woohoo we're, we're getting through this folks we're, we're getting we're getting towards we're getting towards the end we're on our way there so i forgot to mention this or not forgot to mention this is a like retrospectively i need to also mention this so as of right now part part three is going to be three mini parts now because my deconstruction was too long i thought i could do it all in 3.1 but uh, well, who, what was i thinking who, who, do, who, do, who do i think i am am i able to condense information am i am i capable of not getting hyped am i am i capable of not saying go team no i have to say go team i my deconstruction, I, I think I just got really into my analysis and stuff. Uh, that'll all be unpacked as well later because I don't have time for that either. So I'm really sorry, folks. I think part three is going to be three parts. So part 3.3 .3 will probably be the ultimate conclusion. I'm sorry again, folks. Thanks for bearing with me.